morning, and uh, thank you, Marla, for leading us today. Oh, how you guys doing? All right, here we are. All right, if you're if you haven't been here, we're in the middle of a series, and that's it's okay that you haven't been here. Um, you'll still be able to to jump into where we are. Uh, but as always, when I'm in a series, I sometimes allude back to things that. Uh, we've talked about in previous weeks, and so if there's something maybe that's not clear or you don't understand, you're always welcome to visit with me either after service or sometime this week, or to go back and listen to some of those other messages on our uh, website or podcast and uh, try to put those into the context of where we are today. And so we've been in this series just talking about the kingdom of God, the, the tensions that exist in the kingdom, in the word. Um, because there are times where Scripture seems to say two contradictory things, and we sometimes don't know how to wrestle with some of those things. And we looked at um, Elijah in the Old Testament and compared him kind of to the Pharisees. We looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and talked about the issue with the Sadducees and the chief priests and the corruption that had existed in the, the, the culture of that day that Jesus was trying to, to counter, which ultimately got him killed. And then we talked about the table manners of Jesus and why Jesus ate with the people he ate with and what he was trying to say. Then we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Won't You Be My Neighbor? And if you remember, the question wasn't, who is my neighbor, but how can I be a neighbor? I mean, often we want to ask the question, well, who is my neighbor? Who do I need to love? And Jesus is like, no, every person that's in front of you is your neighbor. You just need to ask the question now, how can I love them? Or how should I love them? Um, and that was a, a great uh, parable that Jesus just kind of rocked us with there. And then last week, we talked a little bit about forgiveness and reconciliation. The difference between the two, and we asked the question, where can I draw the line? Because, you know, we were like, okay, I'm supposed to love my enemies, but where's the line? And uh, we talked through some of that. But today, we're going to talk about kingdom keys. Kingdom keys. And if you're a student of the Bible at all, or you know the Bible at all, you know you're automatically thinking Matthew 16, and we're going to read it in a second. Um, but this idea of kingdom, this message may even feel like a bit of a step back um, from what we've been doing, because it, it's in some ways it feels like a foundational thing. Um, we're going to talk about the gospel of the kingdom, because when Jesus came to earth, he actually preached what the scripture refers to as the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what he taught. That's what he had his disciples teach. That's what he told his disciples everyone would teach. And we're going to look at some of those scriptures. And so he conferred this idea of kingdom on his followers. And um, we use the word gospel today. We preach the gospel. Um, and that word gospel literally just means good news. Okay, it's a Greek word, euangelion, uh, good news. So gospel is not necessarily a um, a, a Christian word, at least not in the Greek that it was used. And so there was a euangelion, a gospel of the Roman Empire, the good news of the Roman Empire. And here it is as a Roman citizen or as a person who lives in the Roman Empire. This is the good news about the Roman Empire. So this word, Jesus is actually using uh, a phrase that would have been very common to them, the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus taught. And I think sometimes we get confused when we use the word gospel, what we're really talking about. And so I, I'm hoping to bring us to a place where we, we have a foundation that we can build on. Because if, if the foundation is wrong, nothing else is going to work. And so in Matthew chapter 16, 
verse 19, this is the phrase that, you know, we think of when we think of this idea of keys of the kingdom or kingdom keys. Um, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And this phrase, Jewish culture, again, this idea of binding and loosing would be them taking the words of God, the law, the Torah, and wrestling with it and coming to to conclusions about how they should live as a people or how they should put God on display. And then they, based on this, here's the problem, based on these scriptures, Okay, let's figure out, okay, now what do we do about the problem? And then it would be either bound up or it would be loosed. And the community would agree on it and they would live by it and God would hold them to it. And so Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I'm giving you the kingdom authority. And he had already done that some when he was with them on earth. But now as Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he knows he's going to die and he knows what's going to take place, he's preparing his disciples for what comes next. And it's like, I'm giving you the keys. But how many of you know, if we don't actually use the keys, then they're not really, I mean, it's great to walk around with a big thing of keys. Sometimes you feel powerful if you got a big thing of keys on your belt and you're like, I got the keys to the place. Um, But if you don't know where any of those keys go or how to use them, you know, and I feel like as believers, we have this huge keychain, and some of us, we just, we don't know how to use them or we don't even realize that we need to use them. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk through as we go through the message today. And I know that when we talk about this idea of foundation, Christ, we know, is the foundation, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. And a lot of times we talk about, when it comes to talking about Jesus, we, the Christ, the Christ is central. And please, 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 please hear me that I'm not never saying today that the cross is not central. But the way we view the cross isn't the whole gospel of the kingdom. And we've kind of, we've kind of parched it out in a way that um, segregates what Jesus did when he was on earth. What I mean is we, we focus on his death, burial, and resurrection. And we think, well, that's the cornerstone. But what about how he lived when he was on earth? That's also a part of the cornerstone. And he lived and he preached and he did things even prior to his death, burial, and resurrection. And so as we've talked about this idea of trusting the story and making sure we're drawing a line through Scripture, we, can't, we have to view the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus through his life. And I think sometimes we divorce it from his life. And we try to interpret it in like a Western view apart from how Jesus actually lived while he was on the earth. Um, and if, if that sounds confusing, hopefully it's clear by the time we get to the end. Because when Jesus came to the earth, Matthew chapter 4, this is where Jesus is like coming on the scene. And from that time on, it says, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this word repent today, because when we use the word repent, we sometimes limit that word to just mean um, confess your sins. And confessing our sins is a part of repentance. But repentance is far deeper than just individual acts of sin. What Jesus is doing, that word repent means to, to literally turn. It means it's a, it's a total about face. It's a change of everything. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he's saying everything about our lives is is 
you've been living this direction, now turn around and live that direction. Because the kingdom is literally opposite of everything you've been doing as a human. You've been living according to a pattern, to a standard, and the kingdom of God is not that way. You've got to repent. And that includes, you know, admitting this is a sin. God's word says it's sin. I, 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 I admit it. I repent of it. I'm turning from it. But it also involves things that maybe aren't sin. Thought patterns, behaviors, pursuits, dreams, goals. And some of those things can actually hinder the kingdom. And Jesus is actually telling us to turn away from them because the end of those is really death. But if you repent, if you turn around and follow me, then you're going to be in the kingdom. So then Jesus, in verse 23, went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. So what he's doing is saying, hey, here's the kingdom of God. It's coming on the scene. It's here. Just like they would have heard the Roman Empire is here. Here's the benefits of the Roman Empire. Here's the, the, the ways, the culture of the Roman Empire. Jesus is saying, here's the culture of heaven. This is what it looks like. This is how it behaves. This is how it thinks. This is how it processes. This is the kingdom. I'm bringing you the good news of the kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. Well, why? Well, that's kingdom. Because in heaven, there's no sickness. In heaven, there's no disease. So what Jesus did was he just released heaven. But the kingdom of God is not just forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of God is not just power for miracles. The kingdom of God is not just how we treat people. The kingdom of God is a total change of everything in our lives. And some of us who grew up in church, in church culture, we really struggle with this when we, when we need to repent because we're like, well, I'm a pretty good moral person. And, you know, I've, I've always believed the Bible and I've always been taught, so I really don't need to repent of much. <laughs> everything. Everything. It's total. But, but the best part of the good news is because of what Jesus did for us, we're totally justified before God and, like, we can never change our standing before God at all. Jesus is it. He's enough. So even as I kind of work the kingdom out in my life and I do it like imperfectly, one day good, one day wow, one day oh, excellent, one day eh, not so good. Even as I do that, in Christ, it's good news. It's done. So the pressure's off. I don't walk around with guilt being, oh man, I, just, I can't believe I keep doing this. I can't believe. No, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is why understanding the kingdom is so important because there's so much in our lives that has to change. And some of us, we're so busy telling everybody else where they need to change, we're not letting the kingdom work all the way through our lives. That's actually what Jesus meant when he said, you're looking at the sin in your brother's eye. Well, actually, just work the kingdom into your own life, and then you're going to actually see better to help them. Because where you are, you're actually trying to help them in a way that's actually not helpful. It's unproductive. And I think this, I think, total opinion statement here, this is where the church is today. I mean, I know the world hates us, and we can say, well, Jesus said the world would hate us, but maybe, maybe, we haven't worked the kingdom into our lives as well as we should, and yet we've been telling them how to live, and the kingdom hasn't really taken root in us enough to help. 
and we're not seeing clearly. And maybe it's time to take a step back and make sure we're seeing clearly before we start poking people in the eye. Just a thought. And so Acts chapter 10. This is, okay, baptism in the Holy Spirit's happened. Everything's there. And then Jesus, or Peter, is teaching about Jesus, and he's telling Cornelius' house, this is how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Okay, well, why did he go around doing good and healing people? That's kingdom. Kingdom is just doing good. Kingdom is being the best worker you can be because you're, it's kingdom. You give your best. Well, I'm not giving my best. No one else has given their best. That's not kingdom. Kingdom is uh, you get the best me no matter what. Well, I don't feel like giving the best me. Well, that, this is kingdom. This is the culture of heaven. How do we know that? Because God gave his best. He demonstrated it for us. And anything less is not the kingdom. All right, so Matthew 10, Jesus tells his disciples, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Kingdom. This is what Jesus taught. He even taught not just the 12 disciples to do this, but the 70 others. They're not apostles. They're just 70 other followers of Jesus. Jesus gives them the same command. Preach the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. Tell everyone the good news of the kingdom. This is important because in Matthew 24, 14, when Jesus is about ready to go to, this is it. This is his final words with his disciples. He says this, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, the death and res burial and resurrection of Jesus is a part of that message, but it's not the whole message. And that sounds weird. That almost sounds like heresy in our eyes, but it's not. It's a central point. It's a key. So much hinges on it. It's access to the kingdom, but it's not the whole message of the kingdom because when we make it the whole message of the kingdom, then we just start thinking, well, it's just about getting to heaven when I die. And then we start thinking about, well, it's just about making sure I don't sin. Well, it's not about making sure I don't sin. It's about just living in the kingdom now. And I worry sometimes that, you know, when heaven comes to earth, <laughs> some of us aren't going to like it because we don't like to live in the kingdom now. W what makes us think that something's going to change when Jesus shows up and we're going to see the kingdom? Like the, our call as believers is to start embracing kingdom lifestyle right now. And that means preferring others over ourselves. And, and we sometimes just, we don't like it. In Luke 24, Luke's version of the last moments of Jesus, he says, look, look at this. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. See, it's not just about repenting of a certain sin. It's about repentance that brings forgiveness of sins. It's about the acknowledgement that I got to turn completely. It's not just that I committed a sin. It's not just that I've committed this many sins. It's not just that I broke God's law. It's that every part of my being was going one direction, and I'm repenting, I'm turning, and when I do that, I get forgiveness of sins. Not only do I get forgiveness of sins that I've already committed, but my future sins are already forgiven. 
And that doesn't mean I can just live however. It's impossible to live however I want because I've repented. I'm going this way. And by repenting, I'm submitting to the king. And so it's not just, and when we focus on individual sins, then we start thinking, well, I'm doing pretty well. And it's not about how well I'm doing or not doing. It's all about the king that did it for me. It takes performance anxiety off the table. Like, I, everything about me is wrong. I'm going this way because then I'm going to find life and he's going to bring it out little by little. Oh, so one more scripture, and then we're going to talk about some kingdom keys. We've still got plenty of time. Praise the Lord. Um, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Jesus says this. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Like yeast. Now, it's interesting because, remember, Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of the Sadducees. Like, yeast is sometimes a bad thing, but here Jesus says, no, yeast is, this time it's good. A woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. And until it worked through the whole dough. Okay, so when you recognize the kingdom is, someone preaches the gospel to you, the gospel of the kingdom, and you're like, yeah, the king, the kingdom. I'm, I'm submitting to the king, going that way, forgiveness of my sins. I, I totally, that way is wrong, going this way. Um, that's the beginning. So you get a little yeast. And that thing has to be worked through all of the dough, every part of my life, everything, everything. Every relationship, every choice, every decision. And it is going to take the rest of my life to work it into every part of my life. I'm never done. I'm never done. And as I do it, that's going to help other people see how to live. It's not just me telling them how to live. It's me showing them how to work the kingdom into my life. And we get really good at telling other people how they need to live and there's a lot of dough left to work into. And now, it, we can't wait until we get it all worked out to tell anybody anything because then we wouldn't tell anybody anything. But maybe we should take James's word to heart and be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and just keep working that kingdom stuff into my life so that I can see much more clearly to help the people around me. Because I'm convinced most people want to help people around them, but I just don't know that we always do it the right way or the best way. And so I want to work I want to work the kingdom into my life so that I do that way better than I've done it in the past. Because Lord knows I've done it wrong in the past. And so some homework, if you like homework, um, because school's starting soon, um, read the Gospels this week. And so if you've got any time at all, start in the Gospel of Luke. That's weird because no one ever says read Luke first. But I feel like we should read Luke. But read it slow and pause. And think about some of the kingdom keys that we're about to talk about and see where you see them. And you're going to find other ones because I'm not going to give them all to you. Like I can't because <laughs> remember big key ring. Um, there's a lot of kingdom keys. And, and read it slow. If you're an overachiever and you can read Luke um, this week and Mark, Mark's a good one to go to next. Um, if you got lots of time, Matthew, um, and if you're like, I'm bored, John, okay, so Luke, Mark, Matthew, John, 
Read them, read them slow, read them with other people, read them, you know, at supper time, read a chapter, talk about it. Um, and for two weeks, we're going to kind of wrestle with kingdom stuff here, and hopefully we'll wrestle with kingdom stuff as we read the gospel. So here we go. Kingdom keys, however many we get through, we're going to get through. The first kingdom key, which I think comes from the life of Jesus, because again, Jesus is the cornerstone, so it's not just his death and burial and resurrection, but also his life. And one of the things that we see early on in the life of Jesus is humility and submission. Humility and submission. Now, this is not a checklist, so don't go, oh, humility and submission, check. It's not a question of, am I humble <laughs> or am I submitted? It's a question of, where am I not humble and where am I not submitted? Okay? Every single one of us in this room needs to, humility in some part of our dough, wherever it is. It could be just a relationship. It could be one area of our lives. But there's somewhere, guaranteed, everyone in the room, everyone online, the whole world, except Jesus, needs to work humility in our lives somewhere. And it's easy for us to see other people who need humility and not see where we need it. Humility and submission. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51 then Jesus went to Nazareth with them, Joseph and Mary, and he was obedient to them. That may not seem like a big deal, but he created them. <laughs> and if he created them and he could be obedient to them, so can we. Kids, your parents aren't perfect, but you can be obedient to them. And I know there's always going to be an exception. What if they tell me to sin? Yes, of course. If they tell you to sin, don't do it. But that's not our problem. Our problem is we just don't like something. So if your boss tells you to do something, let's not just pick on the kids. You can obey your boss. Well, what if I think it's the wrong way to go? What if I think it's un-American? Do it anyway, because you're not American first. You're kingdom. I love America, love our rights, but we're not American first. We're kingdom first. And if my boss tells me to do something, I could do it. If it's not a sin and it doesn't violate my conscience, I do it. And if I don't want to do it, then I get fired and I go find another job and trust God's going to supply for me. That's kingdom. I know, that's, that, that, that's just, that's a minefield. But let's keep moving. Jesus grew, Jesus grew in wisdom. Huh, son of God grew in wisdom. You and I need to grow in wisdom. We need to grow in humility. We need to grow in submission. We need to grow in favor with God and man. And it's easy for us to say, well, the reason I'm not submitted to that person or the reason I'm not humble toward that person is because that person has these flaws and that person is doing this wrong. And that person, Jesus could have done all of that because he was the only perfect one that ever lived. And he didn't. He grew in it because he demonstrated for us what kingdom is like. And if the perfect son of God could submit and grow in favor with God and man, so should you and I. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's kingdom. Laying down our lives for other people, laying down rights and privileges, laying down what I cho choose, my choice for someone else. That's kingdom. And I know we don't like it, 
but it's kingdom. It's kingdom. We have to learn to grow, working humility and submission into our lives in every way. I mean, I was raised in an Assembly of God church, and all of my life I was taught, you submit yourself to the governing authorities as long as they don't tell you to sin. And for some reason in our society today, I feel like we've shifted, where now we just don't submit to governing authorities if we don't agree with them. And quite honestly, I'm confused because I still think the Bible says I submit to people because submission doesn't even begin until we disagree. I mean, if I'm only submitted to you when we agree, that's not submission. (laughs) That's me agreeing with you. But the moment there's disagreement, that's where we learn whether or not I'm submitted to you. And I do agree. There are times we have to disagree. We have to unsubmit because we're being told to sin. It's just not as much as we want to say it is. Number two, identity. Identity. Oh, goodness, we need identity. Luke chapter 3. When the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever did anything, the Father said, I'm pleased with you. That's identity. Identity is not about our performance. Identity is about what Christ has done for us. And the moment I repent and come into the kingdom, God says, I'm pleased with you. It's not like God's pleased with us one day, and then the next day when we, you know, yelled at our spouse, yelled at our kids, did something we shouldn't have done, looked at something, I'm not pleased with you today. No, because his pleasure in me is based on Christ, not me. And it doesn't mean I deliberately sin. No, because that's not kingdom. But we get this mindset that God is pleased and not pleased. And what we do then is we segregate. And we're like, well, you're in the kingdom and you're not in the kingdom. And you're in the kingdom and you're not in the kingdom. Because I, I see your life and clearly you're being disobedient. Well, so am I. Just not in the same way that person is. And so we have to be careful that we get our identity and we make sure that we help others get their identity, not from their performance, but from what Christ did from them. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And the moment you do, you get identity, son, daughter, and that identity does not change based on your performance. It can't. Or the gospel is not the gospel. And they know, oh, we get so nervous. Well, then people are just going to live however. No, Well, some are. But some are going to live however no matter what gospel you preach. So at least preach the right one. And you're going to get people free. Because it's so hard to get free when you're so bound up with all of these rules and traditions. And, oh, can't do it. And guilt and shame. All right. Number three. Number three. We've got to get our identity from Christ. We've got to get our identity from what he did. Number three, we have to be full of the Spirit. We have to be full of the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, Jesus, after his baptism, first thing he heard from God, you're my son, I love you, I'm well pleased. Jesus then, in response to that, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mm-hmm, hmm If we are not led by the Spirit, we will always choose what makes us happy, what makes us feel good, what, I mean, I know we like to say, I felt the Spirit leading. Well, the Spirit, if the Spirit is never leading you into hard things, 
If the Spirit is never leading you to say, I'm sorry, if the Spirit is never leading you to say, I'm wrong, if the Spirit is never leading you to keep your mouth shut, you're not being led by the Spirit. You're being led by your emotions. The Spirit leads us into tough places, too. And we need those tough places because that's where our faith gets worked into every part of the dough. And it, it gets worked into some parts of the dough when we come to worship service and feel good about ourselves and lift our hands and worship, and it's great. It gets worked in, but it's in the hard places that the, the, the kingdom really gets worked in. For 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end, he was hungry. Well, no kidding. I mean, if I didn't eat for 40 days, I don't think hungry would describe it. But he was hungry. And what's the first thing that the devil, it's not on the screen, but the first thing the devil says to him, if you're the son of God. Well, that should be settled. Because you already heard the father say it. And you're going to hear it too. You're going to be tired. You're going to be crabby. You're going to act out of character. And the devil's going to say, I thought you were a son or daughter of God. I am. And thanks for reminding me that that's out of character. Boom. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go back. I'm going this way. I'm not going to lament and be guilty and be afraid and shameful. and uh, I, Other people will want you to do that, but I'm going back that way. Okay. Then at the end of the 40 days, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Oh, how do we get the power of the Spirit? Walk through tough places and let the kingdom work into every part of your life. I mean, it's not all coming to a prayer line and just having a good, you know, service or having someone impart something to you. That's good. It's biblical. But sometimes it's just keeping your mouth shut when you really feel like giving someone a piece of your mind. Sometimes it's actually going into a hard place and just sticking it out. That's where the power of the Spirit actually grows in our lives because we're working the kingdom into every part of the dough. I love it. Oh, we've got to be, Ephesians 5.18, it's not on the screen, but it be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Jude chapter 20, building up ourselves in the faith, praying in the Spirit. We have got to be people of the Spirit. And I know that in this room there are different people with different thoughts about what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is or how the Holy Spirit works or what it should look like. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on out there. And don't let the weird keep you from the, the genuine. Because there is a power of the Holy Spirit available to us in our lives, and we have got to seek it and tap into it and grow in it. I don't care how Spirit-filled you are, there's always something more that needs to be worked in our lives. So it's not like, well, yeah, Pastor, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and operated in seven of the nine gifts. I don't even care if it's nine out of nine gifts. You've got to be continuously filled with the Spirit because you leak. Did you know we leak? Oh, yeah, that was a good one. All right, number four. <laughs> number four key. Uh, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is as I went through the Gospel of Luke and just tried to pick out some keys of the kingdom, this is what I came to. Luke chapter four. But he, Jesus is, is in Nazareth. Remember when he told the people, um, the, yeah, the, they just didn't like him. So Luke, Luke chapter 4, they're going to run him off the cliff. And look what he does. He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I, I heard a phrase this week, or I saw it on Facebook, that you don't have to join every argument that you're invited to. <laughs> Did you know that? Sometimes the crowd's trying to push you off the cliff, and it's just time to walk through the crowd <laughs> and go on your way. You have to be intentional. 
You cannot let, Jesus did this over and over. You'll find that the crowd wanted him to do something and Jesus is like, no, I got to go here. Nope, I'm going to go there. Nope, I'm going to go here. Because he, he, you just, you got to know where he's calling you to go and you go. Don't let the crowds dictate what you're going to do. Verse 42, a few verses later, at daybreak, at daybreak, you, for those of you that don't know, that's when the sun comes up. Um, Jesus went out to a solitary pr- a place. Now, I'm not going to tell you when you need to pray, but I am going to tell you, you need to pray more than you're praying now. Every one of us. We have to spend time with the Father. And it doesn't mean an hour at a clip. Sometimes it's just more throughout the day. I, you, but we have to do more. We have to be connected to the Father. And we don't hear the Father when we're with the crowds as much. So we've got to get aside. We've got to hear what he's saying. We've got to hear our identity. We've got to hear what he's calling us to walk in. Or we'll just be forever tossed to and fro by everything that sounds right and good. We've got to make sure we're being intentional. The people were looking for him. So they came where he was and they tried to keep him from leaving. Jesus, don't leave. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. Because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues in Judea. Now, when it comes to being intentional, this isn't about um, being a lone ranger. Because one of them that I didn't put in here, but you could put in there, one of the keys of the kingdom is community. It's community. Even Jesus didn't do life alone. He, he picked 12 people to come around him and do life with. And actually, there were way more than 12. There was at least 70 probably up to 400, we find out in later in the Gospel of Luke, that literally followed him wherever he went. Okay? So you, you can't do life as a lone ranger. And I know that we're like, well, other people just mess it up. Um, but you need other people. Because without other people, I'm going to mess it up, and you're going to mess it up. And we need each other in the body of Christ. So uh, this idea of being intentional and passing through the crowds is not permission to just be a lone ranger or be a jerk. Um, heard that one all my life too. Well, Jesus offended people too. Well, when you are the perfected son of God, you may also offend people. Otherwise, try not to, the Bible says. <laughs> Do everything you can not to offend people. And we like to excuse some of our bad behavior um, and say, well, Jesus did it too. But that's not what intentionality is about. It's just making sure that you stick to what God has called you to do. Number f- Number five. Number five key is committed. Committed. It's a key to the kingdom. Um, Luke chapter 5, verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. So they've been fishing, fished all night. Jesus is like, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Peter's like, Jesus, you're a carpenter. We're fishermen, okay? And we have done this all night. And this is my favorite phrase. Highlight this in your Bible, circle it, put it on a wall hanging, whatever. But because you say so. That's great parenting right there. (laughs) I mean, we're told you you don't say that. What, Mom, mom, why, why, dad, why, why? Because I said so. And some of us need to just do it because he said so. Why do, I, why do I have to bless those who curse me? Because I said so. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. If you're going to be in the kingdom, there's going to be a, at least one moment every day where you're just going to have to do it because he said so. 
And it's just not going to make sense. And you're going to hate every part of it, but you're just going to do it because he said so. You're committed. That's commitment. It's commitment. It's not a dirty word. All right. Number six. Uh, I'll at least give you two more. Number six. Teachable. Teachable. And I know all of us think we're teachable, and we probably all are in some ways. But again, the question isn't, am I teachable? The question is, where am I not yet teachable? Not yet teachable. Luke chapter 5. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belong to their sect, complained to the disciples. Isn't it interesting? They complained to the disciples, not to Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, not the disciples. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sometimes I feel like in our church world, we all believe we, that Jesus agrees with us all the time. And I think that there ought to be times where Jesus just doesn't agree with us. I think all of us. None of us have got our theology worked out enough that Jesus is always on our side. And so if, I, if that ruins your day, I'm, I apologize. But the funny thing is, is I thank God he delivered and is still delivering me from that. Um, because I used to think that my way was always the right way because it's my way, obviously, so it's right. Um, and I had scriptures to prove it. Always have scriptures to prove it. But here's the thing. We can twist the scriptures to do what is for our own advantage, and it sounds religious and good and right. And so we want to be teachable. And so that means listening to understand other people, asking questions, not always cutting people off and giving them our opinion. Sometimes it's just hearing and meditating and, and pondering even before we give a response. I don't know why in our culture now we feel like we have to give a response every moment, like boom, like our cell phone rings and we can't just let it go to voicemail once. Or we've got to give a response to that text right away. No, let it simmer. I mean, most of the things that I have learned over my life, I didn't agree with when I first heard them. In fact, we, we just had a conversation about Royal Family Kids Camp and working with uh, people of, that have been victims of abuse and trauma. And, the, and when I first heard it, I'm like, eh, we're just giving people an excuse to misbehave. And the more I heard it and processed it and looked at the evidence and talked about it with people and prayed, yeah, it's been a journey. But the, if you just dismiss everything you disagree with at first, you're not teachable. You're not teachable. Now, should we believe everything we hear? No. We should wrestle with it in the Scripture. And we should wrestle with it with people that think differently than us because that's the part of community that we do. So just make sure that you know, Jesus isn't always on your side. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible way to say it. So say it a different way and then put it in your notes. All right, we got to go to the last one that I'm going to give you. Number seven, um, be truly religious. Be truly religious. Religious has become a dirty word in our world, um, but religion isn't bad, okay? I mean, uh, going to church, the routines, the disciplines of prayer and Bible reading, that's not bad. That's not... I don't know why we've come up with this idea that that's a dirty word, but the Bible says that religion is actually good. You just have to make sure it's pure and true religion. So in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, 
poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. To me, being truly religious is the recognition, kind of what we've talked about over the last couple weeks, who's my neighbor, where can I draw the line? It's learning to see myself in my enemy. It's learning to recognize that my heart is as desperately wicked as anyone else on the planet. And it's only by the grace of God that I haven't gone there. And that's what, I mean, it's that recognition that I can't be hard on that person because they're me. I'm them. I'm way more like them than either of us is like God. And so I want to be in that frame of mind when I deal with people. And that's why Jesus ends that section with bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And that's that true religion that James reiterates in James chapter 1. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. That ought to be the framed picture, uh, framed artwork above every church door in America. Because we rationalize why it's okay to gossip and slander. Or we say gossip and slander is wrong, but yet we participate in it regularly. And we justify it because that person was wrong or because, you know, I'm just trying to get other people's thoughts about it. And it, the Bible's clear. If you think you're religious, but you don't keep a good rein on your tongue, you're deceived. And your religion is worthless. Got to work that. Again, it's not performance sounds like it but it's not but it's I can't excuse that and so I'm going to work that into my shell one of the things I loved about Pastor John when he was here one of the best things he ever taught me um, and I still haven't learned so I think he needs to move back everyone text him today and say hey you need to move back Um, just totally kidding (laughs) not really Um, was to be slow to speak and quick to listen um, because he would he would bring me ideas and I'd, I'd be like, well, but this isn't going to work and that's not going to work. And, and one day he just had the guts to say, you know, I don't need you to tell me everything that's wrong. I just need you to hear me. He's like, most of the time I'll probably figure out it's wrong. I just need you to be on my side. I'm like, dude, I am on your side. That's why I was pointing out all those wrong things. And then... A long process of, oh yeah, be slow to speak. So actually for a long time, that was the lock screen on my phone. Be slow to speak. Because I found that I didn't just do it to him, I did it to everybody. Um, Because, you know, I want to share my wealth of knowledge with the whole world. And so I had to learn, and still learn, to be slow to speak. Quick to listen. And how to show people, wow, I'm on your side. Even though I see 50 things wrong with that, I'm not going to tell you those right now. Because some of them you're going to figure out even as you just talk out loud. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you. And maybe somewhere down the road I'll point out one or two to you. But, yeah. That's verse 26. Verse 27 comes along. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God is for the underdog. The neglected, the poor, the outcast, we need to be also. And not just the ones that are that way because of society problems, but even the ones that are that way because of poor choices. Because 
except for the grace of God, there go you and I. And next week, we're going to kind of pick up here, and we're going to talk about this idea of how to be a blessing culture and embracing this culture of a table and uh, some of those things. But I want to give you four questions to ponder as you go through this week, Um, some questions to, to think about as we go through the Gospel of Luke or the Gospels and we read about the life of Jesus and what our life should look like as a result. Ask yourself, what am I pursuing? What am I pursuing or what am I valuing? What am I pursuing? What am I valuing? Is a kingdom. Is a kingdom. Now, you know, the church came out of a long time where we were like, well, art, art's such a waste of time. Don't, don't paint pictures unless they're, unless they're Christian pictures. And don't make music unless it's Christian music. And don't make, I mean, we can celebrate the good things of the world. You can watch the Olympics and, and celebrate, wow, man, that person is fast. That's crazy. Or that person can do that. Wow, that is amazing. And you can celebrate people and, and value what they're doing. So don't just look at this from a, a legalistic, if it's not like church and it's not like, what am I valuing? Is it kingdom? How am I thinking and how am I acting? How am I thinking and how am I acting? Because a lot of times we pray one thing, but we think and act another way. So in other words, is humility really showing up in every relationship in my life? Is it showing up with my spouse? Is it showing up with my kids? Is it showing up with my coworker, my boss, the people that are underneath me at work? Like, what? how am I thinking? How am I acting? Don't even entertain the thought that that, oh, that guy is so lazy. I, when is he ever going to get his act together? Ooh, bam. Don't even let that be the thought. God, give me your thoughts for that guy. I mean, anybody can look at him and see he's lazy, but that's not what you see. What do you see? What do I need to speak to bring out life? And then number three goes right along with that. How do I treat others? How am I treating others? If you want to really be brave, ask other people how you're treating others. (laughs) Because if I answer this question, how am I treating others? Very good. But if you find people that, like Pastor John, that will really tell you how you're doing, man, that's gold. That is gold. If you have no one in your life that tells you, hey, you're being a jerk right now, um, you don't have any friends. Because that kind of stuff is gold. Um, There. And then where's my trust level? Where is my trust level? Am I really trusting God for the salvation of my family or am I trying to manipulate things and, you know, am I trusting God to work out things or am I trying to help God? Am I letting the crowd, because the crowd dictating our response, I mean, Jesus didn't even preach to the people after that. I mean, it's like Facebook. They were all trying to push him off the cliff and Jesus just walked away. I don't have to fix everybody. I just have to preach the kingdom. I just have to keep releasing kingdom. And the next time I see those people from Nazareth, I'm going to wash their feet. I'm going to love them. I'm going to stop if they're in a ditch. Like, yep, I'm going to still treat them the way I need to treat them because that's kingdom. So where's my trust level? So things to wrestle with as we go through this week. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Man, thank you that you loved us when we were your enemies. Who does that? Who does that? Man, your love is so powerful because you took people who were your enemies, people who got it all wrong, people who hated you, people who were just 
really not good for anything. Man, and you, you brought life to us. Your love is so amazing. And God, I thank you for the identity that you've given us as sons and daughters. That as we recognize the kingdom of God, as we recognize what you've done for us, as we repent, as we acknowledge our own sin and shortcomings and failures and propensity to, to just rationalize and reason why we should do things or not do things. and Man, you, you just set our feet on that solid rock. But God, help us not to be complacent. Help us to continue to work the kingdom, that yeast, into every part of our dough. And this week, as we read through the Gospels, as we wrestle with these questions, God, as we just process these things, together as a body, together as families, God, even as individuals. Holy Spirit, show us where the kingdom needs to get worked in a, in a different way, in a fuller way in our lives. Because we want to see your kingdom in our city. God, we want to see your kingdom ruling and reigning in our city. Where people are choosing your values, your culture. Where we're treating people with the culture of heaven. Where we're responding with the culture of heaven. Where God, where people that come to visit Huron recognize this is a different culture than I've ever seen before. So Holy Spirit, show us. We're a people that want to know. We want to know. We don't want to assume we've gotten it right and the world is just against us. We want to know where we need to change, where the kingdom needs to get work deeper into our hearts. God, so that you can bring about the lasting change on earth that you want to see. So thank you for this group of people. Thank you for these that watch online week after week. God, thank you for the privilege of being part of this body and being able to grow and wrestle together with the truths of your word. Holy Spirit, help us now as we walk out these doors today to live it fully, to live it fully. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Uh, don't forget the table in the back. If you've brought offering and you want to give that way, you can still give online. Uh, calendars, all kinds of information at the table. Stop by there. Uh, if you've got questions, our hosts will be there. Uh, I'll be back there in just a few minutes. And